Roll down tide. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, this is the Beer Garden presented by Oxford Crystal. Like to hear a little bit more conviction in your take, though. There was a lot of maybes, a lot of what ifs, a lot of questions. You need to just get on here. You need to fire and and put me in a position where I have to tell you that you're wrong. And now, here's your host, Neil McCready. Nice, nice. Edition of the Beer Garden presented by Oxford Crystal. I'm your host, Neil McCready. Today on the show, my friend Brett Taylor. He covers the Chicago Cubs and other stuff for Bleacher Nation. He's also part of On to Waveland. It's a uh, podcast about the Chicago Cubs. Uh, you guys know I'm a huge Chicago Cubs fan, have been all of my life. Um, met Brett sort of through my fandom and his work. And um, listen to his podcast religiously. I read his stuff religiously. And uh, I like Brett for a whole lot more than him being a Cubs fan. Really great guy. Incredibly smart. Very thoughtful. Very uh, open about himself. Kind of raw a little bit at times. Talks about his anxiety. Um, I don't really struggle from anxiety. I struggle from a little bit more of a depression than anxiety. Sometimes those are the same things in some ways. So we've bonded over a number of those things, and I was thrilled that he agreed to spend some of his time on uh, this podcast. It was so good that I had originally thought about holding it for the Monday Oxford Exxon podcast, but it's too good for that. So hopefully you guys will listen. We might use it on Monday anyway, but hopefully you guys can listen today, and I think you'll, uh, you'll like a whole lot of the things that he has to say. We talk about Major League Baseball, about its return. We talk about, um, you know, testing – is there enough testing? Can it be done in time? About the the players, the owners, Major League Baseball, not really trusting one another after all these years. And we talk about the opportunity, frankly, that uh, the sport has, that all sports have, but that Major League Baseball has to win some fans back in a time when maybe we don't need sports, but we want sports. I'll talk more about that in a minute. Before I do that, though, first, let me tell you that We are coming to you thanks to the Oxford Crystal Highway 6 West in Oxford, uh, right next door to the Oxford Exxon. You can go fill up there, and then you can fill up at the Oxford Crystal. You can dine in now. Uh, Oxford has begun to relax some of its um, regulations, I guess. You can dine in there. Of course, the drive-thru is open. Um, You can get the uh, new fresh cracked egg biscuits, bacon egg and cheese biscuit, sausage egg and cheese biscuit, Great way to start your morning. Also, the scrambler breakfast bowls, bacon, sausage, cheese, grits, all that good stuff. You can get the uh, Pick 5 for five fifty-five, and the Nashville Hot Chick, the brand-new Nashville Hot Chick, can be part of that Pick 5 for five fifty-five. There at the Oxford Crystal. That's all-white meat chicken breast with that uh, Nashville spiciness pickles on a uh, crystal bun. Can't beat that. Make it part of your 5 for five fifty-five. This weekend at the Oxford Crystal, they have free delivery with uh, DoorDash, with Uber Eats. So, uh, you know, however you're starting to uh, get out of um, the pandemic lockdown or if you are someone who feels like you need to stay locked down, that's okay. They can deliver to you. All of that, the Oxford Crystal, we really appreciate them being a part of the MPW Digital uh, Network of Podcasts. I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900 that number. Call it. Ask for my friend Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He's going to send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's right to the bottom line. There's no hassle. There's no haggle. You get your quote, and the rest of it is completely up to you. 
You can shop that quote around. Corey just wants to make sure you don't get screwed over by some overzealous car dealer somewhere else. What he'd love to do is for you to get into a Clark Ford. He'll give you a quote that's going to make you think about it. I've done it now. Three of our vehicles are Clark Ford vehicles. We could not be more happy with what we have. Uh, Great service, great product. Uh, Corey goes far above and beyond what most car dealers do, and maybe any car dealers do, uh, as it pertains to service. So he'll take care of you. He wants to be your car guy. He wants to be your truck guy. You'll find out what that means when you call the number 662-257-1900. Our guest, including Brett Taylor, join us on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Uh, Rafters on the Water is open now. It's located at the Sardis Marina. You can come experience outdoor dining unlike any place in North Mississippi. The menu offers shrimp and Mississippi catfish platters along with gourmet burgers, Louisiana-style po'boys served on Leidenheimer French bread. The hours are uh, Wednesday and Thursday from 3.30 to 10, Friday through Sunday, 11 a.m. to to, uh, 10 p.m. It's a newly expanded picnic-styled dining area. Signature appetizers they've got on the the menu now is Idaho shrimp, crawfish egg rolls. They'll have live music as soon as the governor allows it. And they have a variety of fun cocktails, including their famous frozen house frozen margarita. They have to-go curbside pickup available as well, 662 712-6162. 712-6162. We're also uh, brought to you by Community Mortgage. It's located in Oxford, Memphis, DeSoto County, and Chattanooga. It's more than 30 years old. It's one of the oldest mortgage companies in the Southeast. All of the underwriting and the processing is done in Memphis, so you know you're getting local underwriting that understands your market. It's the leader in condo financing in the Oxford market. So ask Jason Lowe about Community Mortgage's float-down option. It allows you to lock in the current rate, but if rates go down before you close, you can get the lower rate. J-Lo, J-L-O-W-E, at communitymtg.com. And last, but absolutely certainly not least, we're brought to you by LB's Meat Market. It's right across from Kroger in Oxford, 2008 uh, University Avenue. It's um, it's, the, it's the freshest cuts in, in Oxford, probably the freshest cuts in North Mississippi. It's a fantastic place. It's one of my absolute favorites. I know a lot of you go there too because I get your pictures that you send on Twitter or Instagram or whatnot when you head over to LB's. Uh, whatever you're in the mood for. Uh, now that things have uh, socially relaxed a little bit, you can go in to LB's and uh, you can shop around. you got to wear your mask in Oxford, so if you're coming in from out of town, bring your mask. It's a requirement. Maybe it won't be for long, but it is for now. So put your mask on, go in, tell Greg what you're looking for, ask Greg for some ideas. Either way, you're going to be really pleased. Whether it's the uh, the meatloaf that all you have to do is throw it in the oven, whether it's uh, the hash brown casserole, which is just absolutely fantastic, or whether it's chicken, pork, sausage, beef, the picanha, the Denver steak, uh, seafood's fresh from the Gulf. They get uh, fresh fish every Thursday. Uh, Mississippi caught uh, redfish, tuna, amberjack, salmon, all of that stuff. They've got it at LB's if you're looking for it, and you absolutely owe it to yourself as we get into the summer months to try some of the different sausages, a wide array of sausages. You'll love them all. You'll find your favorite. Mine's the chicken jalapeno. Uh, Most of the people in my family, it's the ribeye sausage. You'll find something you'll like. Try a bunch. You'll find a bunch you like. Find your favorite, and uh, make sure you tell Greg that you heard about LB's on the beer garden. He'll throw a little something extra in your sack on your way out the door. Um, so we're going to talk to Brett Taylor in a minute. Um, you know, it's funny. I get asked this a lot. I get asked, do you miss sports? 
because I think people know that beyond what I do for a living, that the reason I got into sports is because I love sports. I wasn't good enough to play sports, not professionally anyway, no, no chance. I wasn't good enough to play college sports, but I've always loved sports. I was always that kid that when I was a little kid, sports is just what I did. I'd go out in the driveway and I'd throw a tennis ball against the yard and I'd pretend to be the Cubs. I was Ivan DeJesus, Bill Buckner, and uh, Larry Bittner. I was Bump, uh, Bump Wills, Maury Wills' kid. Um, and then as I got into high school, I, was, I, I looked up to Ryan Sandberg. I wore number 23 because of Ryan Sandberg. Uh, most people wore number 23 because of Michael Jordan. I wore number 23 because of Ryan Sandberg. Um, I, you know, had posters of Ryan Sandberg and Andre Dawson and, and people like that on my wall. They just, I marked time with baseball, George Brett played for the Royals and I lived in North Louisiana. We drive over to, to Arlington to see the Royals and the Rangers play because I wanted to go see George Brett. Just loved the way that he played the game, loved everything about them. And, uh, so yeah, I miss sports. But it's funny, and Brett and I talk about this a little bit in the interview that you'll hear in a minute. It's not the actual sports that I miss. It's not the 5-3 win or the 10-8 loss or seeing someone hit a home run or, or getting involved in a game or the, the nuance of, of um, you know watching a team try to attack Clayton Kershaw or watching a pitcher try to find a weakness in Mike Trout's game. It, I miss those things too. But I, it's funny, in this pandemic, I, that's not what I find that I miss the most. What I find that I miss the most is the background. I miss the sports being on as I sit here and work. I miss turning on, um, turning on a game in the middle of the afternoon when I have stuff to do. And uh, I miss getaway days, getaway days when it's the, uh, I don't know, you know the, the Mets on a Thursday when, on a homestand where the Mets leave that afternoon after the game and they play a 12:35 game. I miss the East Coast uh, games, getaway days. It's the Phillies or, or, like I said, the Yankees or the Red Sox or whatnot where they have a, a day game on, on uh, getaway day because they're catching a flight to start a, next ser- a series the next day. I miss those games on in the background, random games. And, of course, I miss the Cubs. I miss following the Cubs over the course of a season. I miss the ups and the downs and the ebbs and the flows of a season. Reading the coverage from people like Brett, listening to to a podcast to get insight into the team that I've followed since I was a little boy. I definitely miss that. I miss talking about games with uh, Carson the next day. It was one of the things we did. One of the things we've done, one of the, the, the things that has been part of the backbone of our father-son relationship is is baseball, sports. We, he loves sports. I love sports. We talk about sports. It was funny. The other day, he got a haircut for the first time in, uh, since the pandemic. And um, he, we were having a conversation about sports that I played or whatnot when I was his age. And I found the picture of my eighth grade basketball. Uh, I played at Glenview Junior High School, home of the mighty Bear Kittens and um, Bear Kits, to, to shorten it. And I uh, found um, a picture of me because a lot of people have started to say that Carson looks now like I did when I was that age. A lot of similar features. God bless him. Luckily for him, it looks like he's going to have a lot more hair than than I have. So 
maybe maybe he'll have uh, a little more success in, in his in his dating life as he gets older. Regardless, the first thing he did when he saw that picture was, of course, not look at me or my face or our similarities, but he pulled up my shoes. We had uh, white Nike leather shoes, and I remember it being the first pair of leather high tops that I'd ever had in my life. It's like one of the big one of the big things from winning uh, <laughs> from winning a spot on that team. And he pulled up my shoes, and so we talked about Nike and what shoes were popular then. And he saw I had on some, uh, I get I don't wristbands. I can't remember what the brand was. I told him that when I was playing in, in high school and stuff, wristbands were cool, and everybody wore those kinds of wristbands. And I, I wore them all the time, no matter what sport I was playing. And so we talked about stuff like that. Sports has always been the thing that kind of bonds us that we can talk about. And uh, we talk a lot of Cubs baseball over the course of the season. And then the other thing that I've realized that I've really missed, something that I think I took for granted, I don't know that I'll ever take it for granted again. I'm one of these people that loves to listen to baseball. I can drive. Carson and I drove to Chicago last summer, and he sat in the back, and he played on his um, phone a little bit, and he watched a movie and some stuff like that. And I listened to games. I turned on. It was a Blue Jays-Yankees game. Um, and that, before that, it was a White Sox uh, Rays game. So it doesn't have to be the Cubs. It doesn't have to be a team that the Cubs are competing against in the National League Central. I just like baseball. I like the way it sounds on the radio. I like to listen to the announcers. I like to play the game in my mind. I, I just do. But I love listening to uh, Pat Hughes and Ron Coomer on the Cubs radio network. Always have. I love Pat Hughes' voice. I love Ron Coomer. Um, just a great guy, and it's really cemented that the last few years. I guess it was the 2018 Cubs convention. Carson and I got there the night before, and we were going out to eat in Chicago. We were staying at the hotel there, the Sheraton in downtown, where they host, where they hold the Cubs convention. And um, we were going down to get something to eat. The convention started the next day, and uh, Ron Coomer walked through the lobby and Carson recognized him and he said, dad, that, that's Ron Coomer. And I said, sure is. And, and, uh, he said, hello, Mr. Coomer. <laughs> and, uh, Ron Coomer stopped and said hello to him and, uh, talked for a minute where we were from and all that stuff. He was impressed that, that we'd come up from, from Mississippi for the Cubs convention. And we talked about being Cubs fans and all that stuff, but it was mostly just, uh, Coomer talking to my, to my son and so we left. Carson shook his hand, told him it was nice to meet him. And uh, we were headed towards the exit. And a whole bunch of boys had come running up to, uh, not boys, but kind of yeah, teenager type college kind of kids, had come running up to, uh, to Coomer. And um, he stopped and yelled, hey, Carson. And Carson turned and looked. And he said, have you ever worn a World Series ring? Of course, Carson's answer was, no, sir, I've never worn a World Series ring. And so he brought him over, and he let Carson put on his ring, take pictures with his ring. Really a cool moment. Carson was floating on, on cloud nine the rest of the night, and we had a great time at the convention. And ever since then, he's liked to listen to Cubs games on the radio too. And so I, this time of year, I would be picking him up from soccer, and uh, he'd get in the in the truck all sweaty and 
a lot of times the Cubs game had gotten started. If the Cubs had started at 7, his soccer practice ended at about 7.20. He'd get in and say, what's the score? And we'd listen to uh, Cubs baseball on the way home. And it was just something we did. And uh, I missed that. I missed that for reasons that have absolutely nothing to do with missing sports, if you will. I missed the way sports connects us. So uh, that's kind of what I miss. I miss the way sports connects all of us in a way that uh, it's hard for us to describe. I've said this a lot. A lot of times people push back. I think years and years later, we don't really remember individual games. We really don't remember individual seasons. I think what brings us together about sports is um, the connections that that we make with people, with family, with friends, over uh, over sports, over the years. It's why people, for honest, it's why people go to the Grove. The Grove's part of uh, Ole Miss football in in sort of a spiritual way, best I can tell. People go to games to see classmates and friends and family and. They gather in the Grove to socialize and all of those things. It's one of the reasons that I think I kind of push back a little bit about college football without fans. I know that it might have to happen, and if it does, it'll be okay, and we'll get through it. It's a one-off season. But it won't be the same without fans if you can't gather and, and fellowship and all of those things before and after, sometimes during a college football game. Anyway, I've talked uh, long enough, so we'll go to the rafters music and food hotline and uh, I think you'll enjoy this interview with Brett Taylor of Bleacher Nation and on to Waveland. Brett Taylor joins us uh, you know Brett from Bleacher Nation also from on to Waveland it's a, a podcast that is sponsored by or is a part of the athletic but you can get it where you get your podcast iTunes uh, Spotify all those different places wherever you can find on to Waveland I get it on iTunes so I shouldn't just continue to ramble on about other places you can get it but there are probably other places you can get it besides Apple iTunes really good they had one out just yesterday and I listened to uh, all of it when I was out walking uh, out walking the dogs Brett so it was really good so uh, thanks so much for spending some time with me I'm, I've been looking forward to this for several days how are you yeah thanks for having me on I mean I'm it's I find like a lot of people, our ability to connect with other humans right now is uh, is limited. And so, you know, any opportunities to do that, even if it's just in sound, is, uh, I don't know, it's nice. It gives you, you get like a little, like I feel it now as I'm talking to you, you get like just a little extra swell of positive energy in your gut, kind of, because it's like, all right, all right, I'm, I'm connecting with another person right now. That's that's nice. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I do a lot of different podcasts. Um, our network of podcasts, uh, thank God, has expanded. We've done, we've done well. And, and you know, I, we do a, I do a financial podcast now. I do a kind of a general podcast. I do a recruiting podcast. Of course, I do a lot of podcasts that normally talked about Ole Miss sports back when there were Ole Miss sports. And so now we're just talking to different people. But you're right. I catch myself. I get people saying, man, I bet you get tired of podcasting. And I'm like, no, not, I mean, no, not really. I kind of look forward to talking to different people about different things because you're right. It does kind of help you sort of feel grounded and connected and, and like a little hopeful, I think at times. Yeah. In a way that's, um, I mean, I think we get that a little bit in normal times, but especially now where like it's easy to say in the abstract, you know, we're all in this together. We're all going through this. We're all feeling, you know, kind of the same things and all that. But like, it's very different. I find 
when you actually are confronted with having that conversation with another person, it's like, oh yeah, this, this really is impacting everyone. Um, and that's obviously that's, um, terrible in a num- number of ways, but it's also, um, like an anxiety relief in, in other ways. So yeah. Um, yeah, I feel you. So, you know, I get this question a lot about, you know, Hey, Neil, what do you think about football season, specifically the college football season? As you know, I'm, I'm based in Mississippi, and to say that people care about the SEC down here is probably an understatement of gigantic proportion. But, I mean, I get it, and, I, and I, so I, sometimes I think, you know, what would we do if there were no football season to cover? And, and I always think, well, I've got time. And I was thinking about you today when I was kind of thinking about how I wanted to sort of structure this podcast, which, of course, immediately means there's no structure. But it, it, it I was thinking – those guys were getting ready for a you know a Cubs season and and a Cubs season with a ton of storylines. David Ross's first year and will the Cubs trade Chris Bryant and are they going to break this group up and all of these different things. And all of a sudden there is no Cubs baseball. There's no promise of Cubs baseball at least not in the immediate. And we don't know if there is Cubs baseball, what it will look like, where it will be, how much access to it you will or will not have, et cetera, et cetera. What has it been like? For you as a publication that is, you know, primarily, you guys do more than cover the Cubs, but the Cubs are your bread and butter and there is no Cubs to cover. Uh, horrible. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, like for all the reasons you you laid, I'm listening to you and I'm like, yes, yep, that sucks. Yep, that sucks. That's right. That sucks. Sorry. No, I mean, no, that's the reality. Like, I'd give you a true. beer right now if we were in person. No, I'd say, here, Brad, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, the, the, the thing is, it's like, it's been, so it's, you know, we've been shut down for two months. And um, I actually, because the world has been so off its axis for these two months, like, I have not forgotten, but like, it just does not live at the top of my mind anymore the fact that this was going to be such a, such an interesting season for the Cubs. Like I just haven't thought about that stuff in so long that it's, it's like, Oh yeah, the entire change from Joe Madden, David Ross, that's like kind of a huge deal. Uh, Oh yeah. They were trying to create trade Chris Bryant all off season. were unsuccessful. Oh yeah. You remember the luxury tax stuff? Yeah. Oh, what about the fact that everybody's a free agent after 2021 or are they? Uh, I mean, there's a million things that now. Yeah, a team, um, a team that's good enough to to win the division, and a team that's 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 flawed enough to finish fourth. Yeah, yeah, and and that's and it was like the entire framing of that story was going to be okay. What happens in the first half? Okay, because it's you know they've they've been the UFC was very candid. Like, if we're not there, if it doesn't look like a team that's really going to compete for a championship, not just compete for a playoff spot, but compete for a championship. We gotta pull the trigger. I, I mean, I really, I really believed that that was the what the first half was gonna look like. And now, I mean, anybody who tells you it, it's it's sort of like the coronavirus in general. It's like anybody who tells you they know what, assuming there is a season, what the Cubs like process will be this year is totally full of it because like you can't know how the structure of the season combined with the tremendous financial impact of this combined with like, we don't even know what trade options are going to be. And we know that teams, I mean, sorry to be a total buzzkill for folks, but like, 
I think often about how even in a world where it's like, okay, a season comes back and it proceeds, albeit abbreviated, but like in a normal fashion, you know, you, about halfway into the year, it's like, okay, trade deadline comes up and you can make these decisions. Well, guess what? Even a wonderful player like Chris Bryant, if the Cubs got in a position where they were like, okay, I think we want to make a move, you know, it's not happening for us. We want to recoup some value. Well, suddenly in a world where teams are making no money and there's all these questions about what the finances are going to look like next year, even a guy making relative change like he is, his value has has gone to nothing. Uh, I mean, I should say potentially because yeah, no, caveat, I, to, all, caveat I, to all this. We yeah, don't know sure, for sure. But, sure. Um, yeah. And so it's like you can, you just simply cannot possibly lay out as an outsider even as an insider, I don't think you could like what the course of this season is going to be because there's just going to be so many questions on the financial side that will completely change the value of players, the way you construct rosters and, and that stuff, by the way, like even when we get back playing and even in a quote normal year next year, if that happens, that stuff's going to linger for a long time. I think we're in for a really Really fundamental change in the financial side of baseball for a while. I wasn't going to go there right away and remind me to get back to some other things. I could keep you for seven or eight hours. I'm so fascinated with some of these different things. You don't have seven or eight hours, which is which is probably a good thing for you. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the odds of next season, and, and let's just leave this season alone for a minute, which I realize you cannot do, but but let's just say that that they have a quote season next season. The odds of next season being a quote normal end quote season, based on some of the language that people are using now about vaccine and cure and things like that, and I'm not I'm not getting political here. I'm just that's what people are starting to say out loud. If that's the case, a guy like Chris Bryant and people like him, I think of Trevor Bauer going into this offseason, uh, Mookie Betts this offseason, guys that are that have thought, hey, this is my big payday is on the horizon, whether it's to stay in Chicago or Boston or Los Angeles or Cincinnati or whatever. My payday is on the horizon. Now, if you're one of those people, I don't know that you're quite so sure that your payday is anywhere close to the horizon, and it makes me wonder if some guys are going to say, you know what, let me, let me sign a real short-term, maybe even a one-year deal I'll just stay where I am. I'll take less than I ever thought I'd get and wait for the industry to recover so that I can then get my payday. Yeah, I think that's exactly what's going to happen. I mean, I think to a T, that's what's going to happen with, um, I mean, Mookie Betts is a perfect example. You know, he was a guy who was coming up on 300 plus million this oh, yeah. offseason. Oh, yeah. Uh, 20, 28, you know, superstar. He was just perfectly primed. And now I, I just, I can't, imagine the team that's going to be willing to put a contract like that on their books right now. And, and even, yeah, though, would, would there be a team or two that's willing to like say, yeah, we'll, we'll give you a five-year deal, but like you're going to cap it. It's such a number that it's not going to make for a um, reasonable choice uh, for him. So I think you're going to see superstars taking one-year deals that look like chump change. I, I really, and, and again, we'll see. I hate like prognosticating with too much certainty. Cause like it is, it's at least plausible right now. Like let's leave it at plausible that the season gets off, that the TV revenue actually increases relative to expectation. And it ends up being like, not a total disaster. Now, like you said, 
forward looking to next year, I think you're still going to be anticipating a lot of disruption. But setting that aside, even in a world where it's like, okay, you know, revenues, they weren't quite as obliterated as we thought. I still think you're going to see a very limited pool of teams even willing to, um, you know, guarantee a modest sum for one year for a guy like Mookie Betts. And I mean, we're not even getting into, get this, think about arbitration players who, you know, you have to make the decision, right, to tender them a contract in the fall. Yeah. And they will get a raise, right? They'll get a raise on what their salary was this year. But if the landscape for payroll completely changes, suddenly we might see a lot of star-level arbitration players non-tendered because teams are like, sorry, in this new world, like that, that salary just doesn't make sense. I mean, that's think about that. Think about if the Cubs had to make a decision on whether to tender Chris Bryant a contract because he might make $25 million. Isn't that crazy to it, think about? It's insane. And yet, yeah. that's, it, that's not off the table. Like, it's crazy, but that's how crazy things are right now. You wrote a column, uh, I think it was yesterday, maybe last, last evening, I don't know. Um, now's the time for Major League Baseball teams to justify the love we, meaning the fans, give to them. I, th- I thought you made a couple of, of remarkable points, and I was listening to your podcast with Sahad of Sharma and Patrick Mooney, um, onto Waveland again is the name of it, and and, and you kind of... I don't, know, I don't know which one you did first, the podcast or the column, but there was some mirroring, obviously, because that's what we do. And, and it, was, it was really interesting. You made a, a, a really good point that I keep waiting for other people to sort of make, which is you and I are both baseball nuts. I think it's safe to say you probably even more so than I. And, and, and I grew up, it was the only sport that I just devoured. And that strike in 1994 uh, cost the sport fans cost the sport fans that it still probably has not completely recouped it it uh it absolutely cost a lot of uh, people's passion for the game that that was a, a season that you know the montreal expos were really good and the braves and all that stuff and it went and it went to hell and it went away and and whether it was the owner's greed or the player's greed or what whatever the the common man if you will can't relate to either side because of the exorbitant salaries and because of the exorbitant wealth of the of the ownership that pays those salaries so you were talking about how here we go into this crazy time for baseball where the owners have made a proposal and the players are going to counter and all these things. And the, the, the two sides hate one another and they don't trust one another. And you were exactly right. And I don't, I don't want to steal all of the thunder because I, I want you to expound on it. But if they, if they don't play a season because for health reasons, I think we all, even, even those who, who would begrudgingly get it, I think we would all get it. If you don't play a season in this environment because you can't reach terms financially, I don't know that the sport can recover from that for quite some time, especially if the NBA, for example, finds a way, and the NFL, which is going to find a way, finds a way. I think baseball would would have a very difficult time finding its footing in a post-COVID world. Yeah, I mean, that's there's a lot of ways to think about the – you know, I'll set aside, like I do mention in the article about like a, a moral approach to like, what are you supposed to do in these situations? Like, let's set, set that aside for a moment. Even Can though, we come back to it though? Because I think, because well, yeah. I, I think it's fascinating and let's, I, and I yes, agree with where you're going. Okay, because, sure. Yeah. So let's set that aside and let's like, just look at this from a purely strategic business perspective right now, this moment in time, 
is horrible for everybody. People are dying. People are sick. People are afraid. People are at home. Million reasons it's terrible, right? So the idea that you could see it as some great opportunity is, is gross. And so we can't, can't have that conversation. But the reality is that where people do want that entertainment to feel good, to feel normal, to feel distracted, you know, all these kinds of things, there actually is a goodness there yes. that isn't just about money. Yes. And you, so again, setting aside the morality for a moment, if this situation has created that opportunity where you can be a part of bridging that gap, you are just completely stepping on your own balls to not participate in fill that gap because what you could create in the long term are more fans, right. more dedicated fans, more opportunities for ways that they can consume your product, new ideas that you may never have come up with, all kinds of these things that you would lose, the opportunity that you would lose if you sacrificed this season on the altar of money, not because the health risks prevented it. And then you moreover what you mentioned is it's not just the opportunities that you miss, it's the actual costs you incur. If you don't play because of money, I guarantee marginal fans will be turned off for a very long time. And where baseball makes its bones is on the marginal fan interest because the hardcore people, we're not going anywhere, Yeah, but we're also getting older. And great we, we, don't necessarily make up the greatest percentage of the incremental dollars that the sport brings in. And so if you give marginal people a reason not to consume your sport, um, they'll take it. And so the risk to me of not playing this year because of money, like again, just on a dollars and cents, it's like, is it really worth fighting to the death over 50 bucks today when it might cost you 250 bucks over the next four years and when it what might make you, and when it might make you 500 it, over over the there next there you go exactly because it's the cost and it's the missed opportunity if, if so, i'm a baseball owner and god knows i'm not but if i were the argument i would be making is listen this is a lost sunk season to some degree but we have an opportunity here to make an investment Yes, investment. And, and and we have an opportunity here to, because let's face it, if you're a Braves fan and you just want to see Acuna and those guys play, you want to see them play. And this is one of those seasons where whoever wins the world, if there is a World Series, whoever wins the World Series is going to go, yes. And everybody else, the other 29 fan bases are going to go, ah, it's a year that didn't count. Yeah. So, I mean, that's reality. So, if, if you're this is this is an opportunity for ownership to go to the players and go, hey, look, we're going to take a hit here. We're going to honor the half thing that we did. We're going to take a hit here. Here's what we're asking for from you in return because we realize we're asking a lot of you. All we're asking is, hey, let's have some fun here. Let's try some new things. Let's mic up players on the field during these games with no fans. Let's try to do some things that appeal to younger fans. Let's build a fan base for the future. And then when we sit down at the table, because the collective bargaining agreement's coming up soon, when we sit down at the table, remember this gesture of good faith and let's get something done without a work stoppage. Yeah. I mean, that I think about as you, as you were talking through it, and look, I, it's I sort of hate when people draw parallels between professional athletes and their own life. But in this instance, I do think it's applicable, is that, 
when you talk about, okay, what can we do in this moment in time, if this year is kind of a sunk deal anyway, how can we invest in such a way that we come out of this year in a better position than we went into it? And everything you mentioned, just about the on-field product and the relationships with the players and having fun and all that stuff, that's where baseball needs to go. And I'm thinking about circling back to when you mentioned, you know, what is it like for us and for Bleacher Nation and what we're doing right now when um, sports shut down and it's like, that's what we do. Well, after, you know, I mourned for a few days, it's like we rounded up and it's like, okay, well, we, we're going to get hit hard by this and there's no avoiding that now. Sure. But what can we do during this time to ensure that when things turn around, we have positioned ourselves better for having used this time in ways to, whether it's connecting with people more closely, whether it's doing more podcasts, whether it's doing more social media, whatever it is, we need to make sure that we didn't just waste this time because it's like, well, there's no sports, so, and we're going to get hammered, so whatever. Um, and I think that parallel does apply to baseball and, and any of the sports that are shutting down. It's like you've got to take a moment to realize that, you know, we didn't cause this virus. It's not anybody's fault. It is a thing that happened outside of our control. It's done. It's happening. You can't stop it. All we can do is take a really honest look at how can we best weather this as a business. If, you know, if we're talking about BN or talking about major league baseball and, and just make sure that we didn't, um, hurt ourselves more than the virus hurt us. So that's how I think about it. Um, that's what we've been trying to do. And I think that, like you said, that's ultimately what baseball should be. That's, that's like the overarching way that baseball should be thinking about this. And then ultimately I think that answers a lot of the questions about how you pay players, how you keep everybody safe. You know, I think if you have that mindset, you're going to be able to answer all those questions. The other, uh, line that, that you had the other day it was you had a series of tweets where you talked about how as of today as of this moment and I think at the time it was like I don't know May the 10th or 11th you said you know we don't have the testing today to get started to play but that doesn't mean that we won't be better in two weeks it doesn't mean we won't be better in four weeks it won't it doesn't mean we won't be better in six weeks and it doesn't mean we won't be so much better in a couple of months that by then we will have the testing in, in, in place to play. And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be, I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth because this is not what you said, but it doesn't have to be zero or 100. There, there, there can be steps and there is progress made. We're obviously further along today than we were two weeks ago towards that goal. What kind of pushback have you gotten on that from, from, from people? <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Uh, so I, um, I hate that I even have to, and I know you're not saying this, and I appreciate you bringing it up because, like, I care about this topic a lot because I feel like there hasn't been. No, I agreed this, with you completely as yeah, I read it. The, I was like, yes, exactly. In the precisely. sports world, yeah, in the sports world in particular, like, I'm not talking about the world at large, but in the sports world in particular, it has felt to me like there hasn't been enough nuanced conversation about, um, you know, what do we really think the outcome needs to be here because if you look if you want to take the position that we can't do sports until there is a vaccine and it's widely distributed and and whatever if you want to take that position you can i think you need to acknowledge 
that there are tens of thousands of people whose livelihoods depend on sports. And if you extend it to all sports, it's actually more like millions of people. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that has been lost because I think a lot of the framing is, you know, we don't need sports. You know, I could actually debate that in terms of mental health, but we'll set that aside. You know, you don't need sports. So it's a frivolous thing. Shouldn't worry about it until there's a vaccine. Okay. Again, you can take that perspective if you want, but you need to own the fact that what you're endorsing might actually cause more harm than a measured approach to trying to contain track and trace and reopen. And it's, it's become such a polarizing political topic like anything right now where like if all you want to do like all i want to do is be like can we just talk about the numbers like here's what testing looks like right now here's how it is in different parts of the country here's the you know positive test rates which another little pet peeve if you'll indulge me is (laughs) it it makes for a very so i you know, obviously I cover the Cubs, but I'm also an editor of a media publication. And so like, there are like certain media things that create, that are just huge pet peeves of mine. And I know that the pandemic has created a whole lot of opportunities for like really unsophisticated. You are also, let, and let me, let me interrupt real quick. Cause I want people to get this context. Cause I know this about you because I, I, I religiously consume your work. Not everyone who's listening to this does, you should, but you probably, many of you don't. You also have a legal background. You you could have been an attorney and stayed in the legal field for the rest of your life, and you pursued a passion. Sure. Yeah, I was a lawyer. It's it's crazy. It's been like 10 years now. But yeah, I was a lawyer in a previous life. And I do think that sort of set up some of the ways I think about things where, you know, I think you can see a topic and you can see different angles to it. And we don't have to be like, we don't have to adopt one side of an issue so forcefully and completely and then make the other half of the topic, you know, our, our sworn enemy. Um, I think there are better ways to talk about things. And when it comes to, you know, all things with respect to the coronavirus, I think that we, it, it became, well, so a, a thing that bugs me is it became very easy for media publications to figure out that they could generate a crap load of traffic if they could frame um, a story as either, you know, a data point or whatever it was, as either being like crazy, awesome, optimistic, hopeful, perfect, this is the thing that's going to solve it. Or the exact opposite, like, holy crap, did you notice this terrifying data point that everything's horrifying and it's it's broken and we're all going to die? And that that became clear to me about a month ago was when you could just tell major media publications started getting their data back and they started being like, you know, this is the stuff that's doing really well and it's truthful because it's based on data. We can frame these stories in this way and da 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 da. Um, it bugs me. It just it bugs me so much because it's you're you're not doing your readership any real service by creating these like black and white zones and forcing them to exist in that when the reality of our time right now is that you, you can find a data point for anything you want to say. Nobody knows anything. Um, so anyway, circling back to just the, the point that underpins this, when you see um, headlines right now about like, ooh, positive cases are still, you know, they opened up and then theirs are going way up. And it's like, that might be true. And we should investigate that. 
how is their testing doing? Is their testing also exploding? Because if their testing is exploding, there's a certain reality there. If you're testing a lot more people, well, we know this disease has varying degrees of severity. So if you're testing a lot more people, you're probably going to catch a lot more positives. So what you really need to be looking at, in my unsophisticated opinion, is the, the rates of positive tests. Because then if you're in an area where there's just a crap load more testing and the rate of positive tests is going down, you still might see the total volume of positive tests going up. It's just that you're capturing more of them. And it actually might be that the virus is uh, receding. You know, the RT number might be going down in that area. So anyway, I know that's like a, a huge tangent, but I follow this stuff closely because it impacts the way I have to talk about sports and sports resuming. And like, I'm trying not to get swept up into, and I, and I don't think I am this. I'm not someone who's like, we need sports back at all costs. And here I'm going to just argue with everyone about the safety and efficacy of it and all this. Like, no, it's quite the opposite. I, my position is I don't know. I really don't know what the world is going to look like in a month when baseball wants to start spring training part two. But I leave open the possibility that we could be in a much better place in a month. So like, I don't understand why people want to act like today is June 14th. Like that just doesn't make any sense to me. I'm with you completely because it's not June 14th. We have we have time to make those decisions, and you can move in a you can progress in a in a linear way towards a decision, or or towards hey with the idea that we're going to have spring training too. And then if you get to a place where at that time it's just not possible, well then you just don't do it. I mean it, it it's it it doesn't that decision doesn't have to be made today, and it doesn't have to be couched in a way that hey everything must be perfect because if we're like you said if we're waiting for everything to be perfect that's what i've told people about football look if you're waiting for everything to be perfect to play college football we might not have a season in 2021 i mean then you know i mean we're still waiting on some vaccines i mean you know we're we're going to be smarter there's going to be some common sense and and you know brett you talk about mental health and i know we got to let you go here in a second because you're you're up against a clock we talk about mental health and it's a really important thing. And look, my mental health doesn't depend on a Cubs game anytime soon. I mean, I've made it two months. I can make it a couple more. And if I miss a season, I miss a season, but I can tell you as a, as a person who sort of marks time over my 50 years on this planet through major league baseball, as crazy as that might be. um, I, I can tell you that there would be something cathartic, something healthy, something joyful about turning on a television and seeing Wrigley Field or Miller Park or Bush Stadium or wherever, Target Field in Minneapolis, wherever wherever stadium you want to name, and seeing a Cubs game, seeing Chris Bryant out at third base and Anthony Rizzo at first base and Wilson Contreras out there and there would there would be something there would be something that would would trigger a a, a endorphin, a hormone that I think would make me feel a lot better for a moment. Now, I don't want them to play if they're going to be endangered. I, I, I don't know the people personally, but but I, I follow them closely enough to know that I don't want anything bad to happen to them or their families or, or anyone else's families. We joke about the Cardinals and stuff, but I don't want anything bad to happen to Matt Carpenter or to, or, or to Colton Wong or his family because of, of baseball, for goodness sake. But if there's a way for them to play safely, um, yeah, it, it to say that there would not be a, a, a benefit from that for the general public is, is ludicrous. Well, sports exists for a reason, right? Like, I mean, there's a reason that 
if you trace it back, you, you think about it and talk about it as this huge industry, but that only exists because it must be fulfilling some need for human beings, right? And it just seems unfair to me to... Nobody is trying to say that, like, the, the, the scales that we're evaluating are like, okay, oh, some people dying is worth me having some more fun watching baseball. I don't think, like, I sort of, that's such a straw man that people offer up because nobody's saying that. Instead, it's, for me, I just feel like people need to be fair to acknowledge that the experience of life and the positive aspects of life do matter. And they matter not just because, like, we as humans seek out joy and we deserve to try to find joy. And, I mean, there's a reason it's like, what, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? There's a reason pursuit of happiness is in there. It's because it's important to the human experience. And I think that the part, though, that does get lost is it's an accumulation of a lot of the uncertainty. I mean, a lot of this is out of everybody's control, but, like, the uncertainty of what's going on, the scariness of what's going on, plus the fact that all these things that we enjoy are shut down and inaccessible to us and the, the relationships that they create between people are, are closed off from us, that does have a serious impact on mental health for everyone, in my view, but certainly for you know someone like me, I, I have major anxiety issues. I mean, I'm on medication, man, and it does a great job, but it's like the risk factors for people who already, you know, are challenged, you know, to then have the, what's happening in our world thrown upon that, it does make, it's, it's, it just makes it a lot scarier, a lot riskier and a lot more challenging such that like, I don't think it's unfair to want to think about, okay, but how can we start doing some of the things that we enjoy and that, ameliorate those mental health concerns if we can do them in a safe way. So yeah, miss me with the folks who are like, shouldn't even be talking about baseball coming back because it's not safe. No, that's, that's a really unfair way of talking about it because there's a whole lot more to it than just like us liking watching some dudes in pajamas slap a ball. around. (laughs) It's like, I mean, there's just so much more to it, to the connectivity, to the distraction, to the chemicals in your brain um, that I think we just need to make sure that we're not underselling when we have these conversations. And then, and with all appropriate respect and deference to the reality that like there of course are greater factors at play and that, being safe and responsible and controlling the pandemic are priority one. But that doesn't mean we can't talk about the other stuff. Yeah, I've, I've said this so many times that it's it's funny. The most memorable sporting event of my life was a game that the Cubs lost. It was game three of the World Series. Uh, my son and I went up there to Chicago for game three. It was a one nothing Indians win in game three. Javi Baez just missed a home run that would have been the most incredible thing in the world. But anyway... What I remember most about that game was not the game. I do remember a double play that ended the top of the fifth where the stadium was so loud that I thought, wow, this is incredible. I do remember that, and Justin Grimm just lost his mind pumping his fist, and I do remember that. But what I remember most about that night, and I can hardly get through this with telling people this without choking up, is the the person to my right and the two people to my left. The person to my right 
was a girl, about a woman, I should say, about my age, who had brought her father to the Cubs game as a surprise. He'd gotten tickets to the World Series as a surprise, and it was super emotional for them. It was their bonding thing. It was what had bonded them as father and daughter over the years, and it was remarkably pure and genuine and awesome. And then to my left, there were these two guys that were probably five years younger than me, maybe, who had gone together, gone in together, and bought season tickets somehow years and years ago. And they didn't even know each other, but they did it because neither one of them could actually afford the season tickets. So they came up with this plan together. And through the years, their families had become super close, and their wives were best friends now, and their kids all played together. And during the national anthem, both of them are are, are, – kind of choking up and because it was the Cubs World Series, first World Series game at Wrigley since 1945 and all that, all that stuff. At the end of the day, it wasn't about baseball per se. It was about what baseball does to bring people together. It's the same thing that college football does. I tell people this all the time. You, you don't go to college football games religiously over the years because you really care whether Ole Miss beats Vanderbilt or not. That's, that's It's because of the memories that you make and the people that you see when you go and you reunite with classmates or you meet family or whatever. It's really not about because you, you love the spread offense that Auburn runs or something. I mean, it's, it's just not. I mean, there are a few people that, like that. Like you and I might get into the war and all the specific stuff. But for the most part, when you go to a ball game, the people at the ball game are there for the experience, for the visceral part. When you watch a game on TV, there's so many people I've talked to who are like, yeah, man, I just miss the game being on in the background. You know, I think about how you and I wouldn't even be having this conversation and, and have become acquainted as we are without sports. You know, and that's no, we would never have met one another, probably. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that matters, right? Like, it's okay for us to care about that, right? Sure. (laughs) I certainly certainly hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I know you got to go. I really appreciate your time. I I, I always, I love your work. If it means anything to you since the pandemic, you have, uh, I go to your work more now than I did during the seasons when they played. And I was on your board a lot when the, on your, on your site and and reading your Twitter feed a lot when the, uh, when the Cubs were playing. You are uh, you're, you're a source of kind of sanity and, and uh, grounding for me. So from me to you, thank you for your, the work that you do. Well, thank you so much, Neil. And I'll say for you, for uh, the student athletes, for the universities that depend on the revenues, I very much hope that they find a safe way to have college football this fall because I know that that's um, the, the tentacles of importance for that stretch out very, very far. And I, I recognize that. And I, I do hope there's a way to safely figure it out. And I've talked to college football people in the last 48 hours who are all cheering really hard for major league baseball to get started and, <laughs> and to create a, uh, a, That's a true. to blaze a path. If, if there's yes. ever, the sporting world has never been more unified than it is today. Yeah, someone's it is fun. Yeah. Someone's got to do it. It's funny. Like major league baseball is hoping that the NBA does it first. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And the NBA is so, hoping Major League Baseball goes first. I know it's, exactly. it's hilarious. Hey, thanks so much for the time. Best of luck to you. I hope we can uh, visit again soon. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Neil. All right. Bye, Brett. Again, our thanks to Brett Taylor for his time on the Beer Garden today. Hope you guys enjoyed that. And uh, might play it on Monday on the Oxford Exxon podcast for those who don't listen to uh, to all of our network of podcasts. I can't imagine why you wouldn't, but there are some of you that don't. So uh, maybe we'll play that on the Oxford Exxon podcast on, on Monday as well. But wanted to get that out now. From the baseball standpoint, things might actually change a ton between Thursday and Monday. And then from the sports fandom standpoint, 
that's not going to change between Thursday and Monday. So might be one that we double dip. Uh, Brett's such a remarkably intelligent guy who's able to communicate in, in um, at such a high level. So it's always a thrill when I get to talk to him. So I can be uh, thoroughly intimidated. This week on the Beer Garden, we've had Josh Hendrickson, who is a uh, an economist who probably has an IQ of 8,000. And now Brett, who uh, has an IQ that's pretty close to Josh's, and my IQ, on the other hand, is a fraction, a very small fraction of that. So um, it's been a humbling week here on the Beer Garden. I hope you have enjoyed it. We'll be back uh, next week at some point with uh, more content as we await the return of sports into our lives. Until then, stay safe, take care, talk to you soon.